0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 5th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has made the claim that he can pardon himself. How does that claim square with the text of the Constitution and with history? Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute and author of The Cult of the Presidency. We spoke yesterday. What does the Constitution have to say about? the president's power with respect to investigations or with respect to the pardon power extending even to the president pardoning him or herself?
1: Well, on the pardon power, the Constitution says that the president shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. Now, uh, early Monday morning, President Trump uh, tweeted out that uh, as has been stated by numerous legal scholars, I have the absolute right to pardon myself, and goes on to say, but of course he wouldn't do that because he hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, the question whether the president has the power to pardon himself is not at all clear. Uh, there are arguments on both sides. Uh, the arguments for would be that uh, the president's power to pardon is uh, extremely broad. The Supreme Court uh, has said that it's unlimited with the exception stated, the exception being uh, he can't pardon himself for for, uh, committing impeachable offenses. Uh, And, uh, you know, the the argument would be he can grant broad pardons for federal crimes. Uh, He can pardon people that haven't been indicted yet. Uh, And uh, the framers knew how to write an exception into the pardon power, and they didn't write an exception to uh, uh, the idea that he could pardon himself. Argument on the other side would be that uh, it would be based on the constitutional language. Uh, she'll have the power, he'll have the power to grant pardons. A grant implies uh, there's a grantor and a grantee. A pardon, uh, some scholars have said, is inherently bilateral. Uh, the law professor Brian Kalt, who's done some, some of the best work on this, uh, says that uh, it implies a donor and a recipient. It makes no sense to talk about donating a kidney to yourself or donating $100 to yourself. It's not in the nature of a pardon. It has to have uh, two parties. The other argument uh, is that uh, the, there's an underlying principle that no one may be a judge in his own case. Uh, that's there's actually a 1974 memorandum by the uh, Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel uh, that was dated about a week before Nixon resigned. That said, in fact, the president can't pardon himself because you can't be a judge in your own case. That's about all the analysis that it provides. It does have another interesting idea, though. Uh, it Suggested a way that the president could do an end run around the question of whether he has the power to pardon himself by invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Uh, you know, there's a provision, Section Three of the Twenty Fifth Amendment, where the president can voluntarily step down temporarily and give power to the vice president. Uh, it's something that usually only happens uh, when the president's having a colonoscopy or is otherwise under anesthesia. But the idea would be that the president uh, passes the baton to the vice president, has an agreement with the vice president. The vice president uh, becomes acting president with all the powers of the presidency and issues a pardon to the president. And then the president says, okay, I'm, uh, I'm capable of resuming, resuming office again. And they've, they've uh, done a workaround to the question of whether a president can pardon himself. Pretty clever. I don't know if it's uh, something that's being contemplated.
0: It seems like something out of a TV show, but of well, course, well, that's one of the things. This uh, is a TV show.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, the showrunners are, are endlessly clever. Uh, you know, I hate to admit it. That's one of the things that's uh, uh, perversely fun about the Trump presidency is that there are all these issues that used to be, uh, you know, like crazy law school exam hypothetical questions and now they're part of real life we're really talking about these things
0: and it's it's interesting that people refer to constitutional crisis anytime you have to dust off a portion of the constitution and read it closely that that is that is that's what a constitutional crisis is now
1: yeah i think people overuse that term uh, it might be a constitutional crisis if uh, the supreme court uh, issued a definitive ruling, and the president refused to obey it, uh, that might put you in constitutional crisis territory. But the mere fact that we're debating these things and dusting off these uh, uh, underused constitutional provisions, as you say, is uh, doesn't uh, mean it's a constitutional crisis.
0: Now, the I've heard many times from various uh, people— uh, Pundits uh, uh, in the media talking about um, whether or not the Justice Department could charge a sitting president with crimes.
1: Yeah, this this is another uh, very open question uh, where the constitutional text is not uh, doesn't really foreclose either possibility. Uh, I think uh, the question of whether a sitting president can be subpoenaed in a criminal case is clearer. Uh, the United States v- versus Nixon in uh, 1974, the Watergate tapes case, uh, the president's general claim of executive privilege had to yield to the need for specific evidence in that case. And in a way, you know, calling a president to testify is not terribly different. In the Clinton case during the Lewinsky gate, um, you know, Ken Starr was going to subpoena. President Clinton, but they worked out a deal where uh, Clinton would testify for a limited time by closed circuit television. So that question didn't really get tested. But I think under the uh, that the United States versus Nixon the Watergate tapes case suggests pretty strongly that the president doesn't enjoy any kind of blanket immunity to giving evidence in a criminal case. Whether he can be indicted while in office uh, is a uh, much more difficult question. Again, I don't think it's one that the the Constitution quite settles. Um, I don't know if we'll get there.
0: One of the things that I've heard so many times uh, is, well, this is. Let's separate the legal from political questions here. There are, some of these are legal questions, and and then the the other things what Congress could do are political questions. But of course, these are all political questions in the sense that somebody is asked to act or behave in a certain way in accordance with the Constitution. And the the language itself is not exactly clear.
1: Sure. And I think the ultimate settlement of these issues, uh, if it comes to that, will be political. Uh, For example, in the case of the pardon power, the the framers, the discussion really doesn't seem to envision a president, president pardoning himself. But the framers were very aware that they'd uh, granted a sweeping power to pardon to the president, this almost monarchical power that could be abused. And they said this is something they contemplated and uh, came up at the Constitutional Convention and in the ratifying conventions. Uh, you know, many times uh, when this issue came up, uh, various framers suggested that the remedy to abuse of the pardon power would be impeachment. There's actually an exchange... Uh, at the Virginia Ratifying Convention between George Mason and James Madison, and Mason is complaining about uh, how broad the pardon power is that the president might uh, frequently pardon crimes that that he advised to be committed himself, and Madison says, uh, you know, that there's a there's a security against that that uh, you may not be considering. He says that if if the president is connected in any suspicious manner with uh, any person, and there's grounds to believe that he'll shelter him, Congress can impeach him, and they can remove him if he's found guilty. So I think in many of these cases where uh, there's, there's broad power, that power can be abused, uh, the solution uh, is a political solution. Well, impeachment is part legal and part political, but in many of these cases where there's no other A viable remedy to to check an abuse of power, uh, there is the ultimate remedy in the form of impeachment.
0: Now, with respect specifically to uh, impeachment, we had we're counting what three total in reality uh, with respect to impeachment, that including Nixon. So, when articles of impeachment are drawn up, uh, they don't. When it says high crimes and misdemeanors, what? Is the t- what should we understand that to mean? We've talked about this before, but what should we understand those things to mean?
1: I uh, I think uh, this is a case where you've got uh, a term of art that uh, predated the Constitution by several centuries, and it doesn't translate very well into contemporary language. You know, it's it's understandable that people think high crimes and misdemeanors is uh, focused on violations of the criminal law, but The history, the structure, and the purpose of the Constitution's impeachment provisions suggest otherwise. Uh, It really was aimed at a broad category of political offenses and political misbehavior. You know, Madison uh, at the convention talked about uh, the necessity of impeachment uh, to defend the community against the incapacity, negligence, or perfidy of the chief magistrate. Uh, So we're not. Strictly in the realm of the criminal law, what the Constitution's impeachment provisions are there to provide is a defense against uh, political abuse and uh, political incapacity, Uh, serious violations of the public trust that suggest that the person in a high place uh, cannot be trusted with the power uh, that comes with the office
0: so what do you see as the next steps here it, it seems uh, like so many things are up in the air and that uh, there are some pretty big uh, triggers that have yet to been yet to be pulled uh, here so do you have any thoughts on where this goes
1: <laughs> you know uh, it's it's very tough to predict I would say that they we're still in the very very early stages Uh it's not clear how much of the back and forth between special counsel Mueller and the president's lawyers is just posturing and bargaining. Um, you know, we're we're not at the point yet where uh, Mueller is going to issue a subpoena for uh, the president to testify. Uh, so I think it's premature to, to think of this as uh, having come to a head and also uh because impeachment is part legal and part political the political side of that depends very heavily i think on what happens uh in november um it, it, at this stage it's difficult to see a republican led house of representatives impeaching the president um you know uh stranger things have happened i guess but uh i don't think we're there yet and uh you also have a large structural barrier uh, in the for- form of the two-thirds requirement for conviction in the Senate that has made impeachment pretty much always an unwieldy uh, solution. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe the framers set the bar too high, but I think we're we're months out at least from uh, a real uh, live discussion of impeachment in the House.
0: Gene Healy is vice president at the Cato Institute and author of The Cult of the Presidency. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.